Check your trim set. Check your heading north. Light heading is 074. Check your altimeter set. 2946. Corrected center point elevation. Zero feet. Check your barrel and zero. Check your SS 1230 3034. Check your field. Check your speed up. Lights out. Welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. Bob! Here we go. Light them up. Positive rate gear up. I am David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I'm grateful to be back here with you for another week, another episode of the Renegade Aviator radio show. We get new fans each week, so welcome. And we're adding new radio stations to our mix. And now here's even better news. You know, demographics are changing and we have to change right along with them, right? So people like me, of a certain age and a certain mindset, we listen to talk radio on a radio. Imagine that. We listen in our car or on a radio that's in our house or our office, whatever. But there's a huge group of listeners out there who listen on podcasts. So now, with many great thanks to Katerina, my daughter, a young woman who listens to many podcasts, The Renegade Aviator Radio Show is now pretty much wherever you find a podcast. Autopilot on. Find us by searching Renegade Aviator, all one word, A-V, the number 8-R. There you go. All right. My guest today is a guy you've heard from recently, but his story is so unique and guys like this are so rare that I needed to give him a second show. Frank Murray, ladies and gentlemen. May not be a household name, but he's one of the few who flew the world's fastest air-breathing airplane. But it's what he did after that that was what caught me by surprise. From going 85,000 feet above the enemy to 300 feet above the enemy. But first, let's hear from Frank on the A-12, Cygnus, a black jet, a spy plane built for the CIA and flown from Area 51, sit back and get comfortable. You're going to enjoy this, I promise. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. The reason for the A-12 goes back all the way to the time of Eisenhower's presidency. The airplane was brought about because the U-2 was known to be vulnerable because it was subsonic, it flew up to about 70,000 feet, which is above where the Russian fighters could get at the time it was deployed at first. But 
they knew damn well that missile systems were coming along to sort it out. In 58, get this, in the days before digital computers, the A-12 design got underway at Lockheed under the leadership of the smartest man in aviation, Kelly Johnson. There's nobody ever got the smarts that that guy forgot. <laughs> in 59, Gusto, the operation before, was a sort of a fly-off on paper idea between Convair and Lockheed, the two makers of airplanes in the United States that had some Mach 2 experience at least. So they had a fly-off in there on paper. Lockheed beat the tar out of Convair for that. And Oxcart was started in 59. Get this, the design for the Oxcart A-12 was set and the contract let in 1959 for 13 airplanes, as you see it today. This all done long before digital computers. The Powers incident proved in 1960 that we were right. The U-2 was vulnerable. Frank Powers got his butt shot down over Sverdlovsk in 1960 on May Day. So it came to pass what we knew was going to happen. Of course, the A-12 was headed in to be the replacement, but sad to say, President Eisenhower met with Khrushchev at the time of the shootdown and told them that we would not fly manned airplanes over Russia anymore. So now what the hell do you do with an A-12? So they continued. <laughs> okay, the objectives given in the contract to develop the airplane were both uh, robust and some of them achievable and some not. We just never quite got there. We never made the range of 4,000 miles. We could squeak out 3,000 miles tanker to tanker, which is well more than across the United States or well more from New York to Paris or something like that. We could do that, and we did that all the time. We refueled all the time, which is not a hard thing to do. A lot of people think it is, but it's, it's relatively easy. It's mostly formation flying, which anybody can do that. <laughs> The speed objective of Mach 3.2 was established by the technology limits of the metals we had to make the airplane of. And so we achieved that easily. The speed limit of the airplane is not a Mach number limit. The speed limit of the airplane is established by the compressor inlet air temperature. In other words, what the temperature of the air going down the engine there's a limit to what the engine can take. After that, it shreds. And that's terrible to try and fly a twin-engine shredder. <laughs> the altitude objective of 85,000, we made that handily. And we used to get 85 on every test top. It was easy to do. The maximum altitude ever demonstrated by the SR under the most optimum factory condition was 85,263 feet or something. We got that in a turn all the time. <laughs> so there's a big difference in the performance of the Cygnus, the A12, and the family model. The weight of 110,000 pounds was an arbitrary thing. I don't know where that came from. I didn't have anything to do with it. But we couldn't do, we couldn't get that skinny and go that far. 
Hell, we carried 68,000 pounds of fuel. Now, all you got is left is a few ton there to be, make the airplane of. Remember, this is segment two of a two-part series with Frank Murray. So if you've missed the other episode, I want you to go back and you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find a podcast, search Renegade Aviator Radio Show and pull up the first part of this two-part segment with Frank Murray. These are gems. These pilots that have been there, done that. This is a generation that we're losing every day. So it is at my absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to speak to people like this. And I hope you understand the importance to put interviews like this together. So we're looking for more of them. If you know of one of these aviators that I should be talking to, give me a call, 888-366-5256. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. Engine, 18-cylinder, reciprocating. Cruising speed, 190 miles per hour. Range, 2,700 miles. Ordnance load, 8,000 pounds. Manufactured, 1945. Today, 28 versions later, the A-1 Sky Raider is the Sandy in Southeast Asia. Sandy Brick. Sandy, we have further information on your scramble. The call sign of the survivors, Red 2, Alpha, and Bravo. The A-1 Sandys are scrambled to fly cover for the Jolly Green Rescue Helicopter and downed airmen during search and rescue missions. We promote aviation, ladies and gentlemen. There are opportunities for pilots, mechanics, engineers, air traffic controllers, and all kinds of support staff in aviation. Interested in a career in aviation but don't know where to start? Give me a call. 888-366-5256. Leave a message. We will call you back and do our best to help you on your new career in aviation. 888-366-5256. <laughs> the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. Hey, Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. Two quick segments with Frank Murray from a YouTube video that I'm going to give you the link or how to find that video, an outstanding presentation that he did 
on the A12 Cygnus. I think you'll enjoy these two pieces. And uh, kudos to Chris Johnson, my friend, uh, who's allowing me to use these. Give him credit where credit is due. Here we go, Frank Murray. The A1 only carried one camera, by the way. One very large camera, about the size of a Volkswagen. (laughs) And uh, the SR carried all kinds of miniature cameras and cameras looking through mirrors and through other optics and things. We carried one camera that had about a five-foot focal length. Can you believe that? Five foot, From the film to the objective lens on the camera was five feet. Jeez. That's a, That's a long camera. camera. <laughs> that is a long camera. And, and high resolution, too. And super reliable. Can I put a plug in here for the company that made that? You can, absolutely. That was made by Perkin Elmer in the United States of America. And it's a wonderful camera by a wonderful company who, who made the, the only camera the A12 carried into, uh, into harm's way. There were other candidate cameras. I won't mention them. But uh, there were other candidate cameras. They just didn't work as well. Turk and Elmer made the one that worked the best, and every combat mission with the A-12 was flown with a PE camera. So my hat's off to those people for building and designing and getting it together to work in that atmosphere. It was a foreign atmosphere for any camera, you know, a hot bay and all of that kind of thing. But they did a beautiful job with it, and it took beautiful pictures. I've seen the pictures. And, you know, they're clear as a bell. Wonderful. Birkenhelmer, a, a company that, you know, probably nobody listening to you knows anything about PE. But they're still on the New York Stock Exchange, I believe. That's about anything anybody knows about PE. I learned a lot about them because I carried their camera. The camera system, in a nutshell, worked very well. We flew 29 missions, I think it was over denied territories using the Perkin Elmer camera and we had one instance one time when the camera worked on the first pass and jammed on the second and that's it so 29 and a half successful was pretty damn good I thought it was a panoramic camera which meant when it took pictures it was horizon to horizon sort of well it's not that quite that but it was 67 miles off Nader Nader is straight down. So 67 left and 67 right, and resolution at the edge of 67 was somewhere around two feet. So it could, it could discern things that were two feet or bigger. The system, the Perkin Elmer system, uses two cameras in the A12, and they're taking pictures on the same piece of film. Okay, it's not two cameras looking at the same spot on the film, it's two places on the film, and the film is sprocketless. They had a friction drive for it, which was faster, safer, and didn't punch new holes, and you know, all the other crap. The camera system was a stabilized, gyro-stabilized platform so that you could maneuver the airplane a bit, and the camera would stay on the target. And it would continue taking pictures even if you reached a gimbal limit, but they weren't as good because now you're allowing the airplane vibration to be picked up in the camera. So, one roll of film, 5,000 feet of thin base film. That's a mile of film in that big brownie. And that was it. 
the linear coverage, if we started and wanted to run a continuous path picture, panoramic, get it now, remember what I told you, you could go 2,500 miles before you ran out of film. So we carried some film. It was an 18-inch lens shooting at 3.8. So f-stop of 3.8. Pretty good. Look at the resolution. One foot. Look at the contrast. 200 lines per millimeter. This is like taking pictures of hares in the parking lot. This is damn good, especially for a camera that was whistling along 3,300 feet per second, which is the speed of the airplane at cruise. Easy, uh, reliable performance, I've said that. Easy pilot controls, on-off. On-off weather, it was it. On-off standby weather. If it was cloudier than they said, stick it in weather. If it, otherwise, put it in on and go. The A-12s, the YF-12s, and a couple of slugs. You know, a couple of, uh, <laughs> couple of things used for radar cross-section analysis. So there was 13 A-12s built. One of them was a two-seater where we took the camera bay of one airplane and took it out and put another chair in there, the scare chair, as he called it. <laughs> and one day, Roger Anderson, my bald-headed friend here, <laughs> Harry, we, uh, I took him up in the trainer one time for a mission including refueling and playing and doing whatever the A-12 could do. So Roger's been along, he knows about the trainer. We only had that one airplane, it lasted the entire program, it's now on display in LA next to the shuttle that's over there by the Coliseum. There was two drone launchers made, we lost one of those in test, and the airplanes were all hauled overland to 51 a distance of 370 roughly miles one way and those boxes that Lockheed built hauled all that stuff up there and back and forth 18 trips and it worked like stink. One time a Greyhound bus ran into the big box <laughs> and all it did is scratch his paint and we paid him off and he went his way. <laughs> Nothing further said next. To test the airplane, of course, Lockheed, the builder, had a cast of people to, you know, that one guy couldn't do all that flying, so they hired everybody they could find on the street. I, joking. <laughs> they had five or six guys to do their test flying. We only had six people to fly their operational missions. So anyway, they had a bunch of guys. The first guy that did all the first flights and demonstration of the airplane to speed and altitude is a guy named Lou Shock. And Lou is uh, deceased, but uh, he was a hell of a good friend. And Bill Park, another guy who I said did all the, all the drone launch testing and most of the uh, envelope expansion work was done by Bill. And other guys did some first flights out of the box and stuff like that, but they weren't really developmental test pilots like Park and Shock. Mission pilots, I didn't mention much there at the end. That's me and a handful of other guys. All right, man, up to the break again. We'll be right back with you. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. Stay right there.
Hey, are you looking to buy or sell a jet aircraft? Give me a call, 888-366-5256. We can broker your current jet or turboprop, buyer's agents, management services that save you so much, it's like I'm working for free. Free consultations, of course. Call my office, leave a message, get my personal call back, 888-366-5256. Renegade Jets, what else would I call it? Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, before I get all wound up here, let me put out a call to action. Stories. Everybody loves stories. This show is about excellence, overcoming obstacles, achieving great success. This show promotes aviation. But you may not be an aviation nut like I am, and that's okay. My job is to entertain, sure, but I've got a higher calling, and that's to be of service to you. So back to stories, 888-366-5256. Okay, well, here we go. Back to what we were talking about this show. Plucked from the Air Force, flying cool jets, the F-101 Voodoo, then resigned a commission in the Air Force, now flying jets from Area 51. Black jets, you know, the place where aliens hang out in Area 51. Spy missions over Southeast Asia at 85,000 feet and 3,300 feet per second, more than three times the speed of sound, ladies and gentlemen. Then as quick as it started, it's over. Back to the Air Force, able to fly any cool fighter jet that he wanted. What does he choose? He chooses to fly 300 feet off the deck in the weeds with the grunts. And I'm a former Marine Corps grunt, so I can appreciate this. What I can appreciate is what it was like in Vietnam because that was before my time. I've got friends who were grunts and pilots during Vietnam, and these guys sung the praises of the aviators who flew missions to save lives dangerous work. The 81 Sky Raider, an aircraft designed in World War II, a, uh, hold on, <gasps> a piston aircraft. <laughs> so here's a guy, hair on fire, flying the fastest jet in the world, now flying a Sky Raider in combat, a 28-horsepower radial round engine that could carry seven tons of ordnance and stay in the air 10 hours if it had to. They called it the Spad, Able Dog, heck, they called it a flying dump truck, or on these missions, Sandy. It was stable, slow, maneuverable. And when the jets couldn't go, the Sky Raiders went. They had men to rescue, they had Americans to bring home. The Sandy mission required great courage, not unlike other combat missions during the Vietnam War. The 81 Sky Raider had over 3,800 rescues credited to it single pilot, down in the weeds. And what were they doing? Their job was to suppress hostile fire so that the helicopters, the Jolly Greens, could hover, drop in a PJ, get our guys out, and back, mostly in one piece. They would deliberately fly low over the bush, making the bad guys on the ground fire at them so that they knew who to kill. 
and this was taught to us in the Marine Corps, always assault into the gunfire because that's where the killing needs to happen. Oh, who were the PJs? Some would call them dangling targets. Combat humor, sorry about that. Pararescue jumpers. They uh, would deliver battlefield trauma care and as well as personnel recovery and combat SAR, search and rescue. The motto of this force, the Jolly Greens, the PJs, and the Sky Raiders, that others may live. War sucks. Combat sucks. Anyone who tells you otherwise is a nut or has never been there. If you have to risk your neck, nothing is more noble than helping your brothers get back home. Frank Murray switched gears hard from flying the fastest jet in our arsenal at the time at the highest altitudes to flying low and slow, down in the weeds, drawing fire and giving it right back at him in the face of the enemy so that other Americans may live. This is why I held on to Frank Murray for another show. In the next segment after the break, don't go anywhere. You will hear from Frank about his missions in Vietnam, and I get goosebumps thinking about all those who risk so much for pieces of land that we could care less about. But listen to Frank's attitude. Listen to it. You and I will have our share of crappy stuff to deal with in life. We can duck and hide, we can cry and complain, or we can choose an attitude like you've heard and will hear from Frank. Frank, thank you. And thank you, every one of you who served in Vietnam. Welcome home. Back right after these messages, Frank Murray will be rolling in hot. Stay here. Don't go anywhere. David Costa, let's fly, let's fly away. Questions, comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide stone You know, uh, I'm not just a dashingly handsome pilot without a big ego. <laughs> no. Hey, I'm a sales and marketing guy too. Shocking, I know. This radio show and my jet air show act is fun, but it really is about exposure and sales for your business. Millions of impressions to the people who want to do business with you. 888-366-5256. 30 plus years of sales and marketing. Call me. the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa. You know, I was a uh, former uh, U.S. Marine Corps grunt, so for you to come full circle and come down and fly oh, a Sky yeah. Raider. You know, oh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I do anything but belittle that tour. That was one of the most exciting tours I've ever flown because you're down amongst, you're in the weeds with them because you're chasing the jollies down there to pick up guys that were shot down. 
and everybody's down in the weeds. You know, you're down very low. And I saw an awful lot of muzzle flashes, but I don't think they knew how to lead because I got very few hits in the airplane. I had one pretty good hit in the wing one day from some bigger AAA, probably 37 millimeter or something, got into my right wing panel. But uh, most of the holes I got were small arm holes, and they were sporadic. And I get this, the airplane has armor on it, and it's got titanium sheet armor here and there around the cockpit and around the oil tank and stuff like that. Well, in my tour over there, I don't remember any bullet ever striking the armor. (laughs) (laughs) So the armor was very effective. Nobody could see it, and they couldn't aim at it, apparently, because they never shot it. (laughs) I always thought that the armor we could have left home and been lighter. As it turned out, you know, that's a funny analogy to have. That's a fact that I found out when I was in the squadron over there that we never took a hit in the armor. Unbelievable. (laughs) But anyway, that was a fun mission. That was equally as much fun as flying the A-12. A lot different skill level required, I think. But still, a great mission and and great enjoyment of mission accomplishment. That's what I'll say. More so, I'd come back from an A-12 mission and everybody say, oh, I'm going to put the new drag chute in it, you know, and put it back in the hangar and get ready to go again. But the A-1 mission uh, was a never-ending thing, and we got called out at all hours of dark and daylight and everywhere else. And and into some of the hottest places where guys got shot down, you know, in hot spots, and we'd dive right back in the hot spot with them to get them out. Man. I wouldn't say it was fun. I would say I enjoyed the result. Nobody likes being shot at. If they do, they're crazy. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, there's something wrong there. But But uh, that's the story of my life, I think, in a nutshell. And probably, I consider myself one of the luckiest men in the world. They're lucky to be able to get the challenges and the jobs I got and lucky enough to pull them off without getting hurt. And I'm well, here to talk to you about it today. And I'm grateful for I'm, I'm sitting here kind of in awe because, um, you know, with such a wide spectrum to go from one end to the other and back yeah, again. A lot of people man. see that. They, they see that same thing and talk about that same thing to me also. They say, how did you do that? I volunteered for the A-1. If you want to know how I got in that airplane, I could have gone over there in any jet because I was well jet qualified. But I didn't want to go over there in any other jet. I'd been flying jets all my life. And they had this mission, this search and rescue mission with the old SPAD, which we dug out of the Navy boneyard. They put all their A-1s in the heat. And the Air Force went in and dug them out and had to rebuild them because the Navy had worn them out pretty thoroughly. And, you know, crashing on a carrier or landing, (laughs) crash, that's what it it amounts to almost. But that didn't do those airplanes any good. When we got them, a lot of the wing spars were cracked to beat the band. And uh, so the Air Force had to run them through a depot overhaul and replace a whole lot of old stuff the Navy had worn out. But it was a wonderful airplane. I found the engine reliable. I never had a burp out of the R3350 engine that it had. The B29 engine is in the front of the A1. And I never had a cough out of it or anything. It just ran like a top for me. And most of our experience with the airplane, the engine was not the problem. Or Mm. there wasn't really a problem with the airplane. You had to be 
somewhat of a magician to remember what stores you had on the airplane, you know, because it's got 15 store stations on it. Oh, and yeah. you got everything from Gatling guns to guns to pods to CBU to pods of rockets to hard bombs, soft bombs, everything you can think of. And, you know, if you can't remember which one's where, you're in trouble. But the beauty of that airplane was you could look out the out of the cockpit and see what you've got on which station because yeah, it's a straight wing right. airplane and they're all sticking out in front of the leading edge down there. So, that's you know, right. when you come back to think about it, it was a very simple airplane with a complex mission, but a wonderful mission. I loved it. You ought to see the face on guys that, that come back and get rescued and saved from the Hanoi Hilton, and they come back and kiss the ground, and they're ready to, you know, do anything that you want them to do. Yeah. They're just so lucky to be rescued. Yeah. And anybody that is rescued under those same circumstances, I'm sure, feels the same way. It's a wonderful uh, yeah. mission and a wonderful experience to see the look on their face, you know. You can't stage that. You can't. An actor in Hollywood would play hell trying to copy that look because that was genuine. And the guy probably had something in his pants to speak that <laughs> along yeah, exactly. with it, you know, because he exactly. probably scared the you-know-what out of him. Getting them out was the chore, and that's what we did. You can see my reason for a little bit of excitement on your show is uh, that mission sort of went unheralded in many circles of the war. Most of the people talk about bombing missions and air-to-air combat and all that. Hell, I never saw an enemy airplane. They'd Mm -hmm. have to have been a helicopter below me or something because I was down in the weeds all the time. You know, in my other airplane, I flew over that same part of the country. I was 85,000 feet, and now I'm at 300 feet. (laughs) Yeah, and you had to land a uh, tailwheel airplane. Jet guys aren't supposed to be able to fly tailwheels. (laughs) Oh, I I had no trouble with that. (laughs) I even used the hook one time. Oh, man. <laughs> then you're also a naval aviator, right? They give you gold wings no, for that? <laughs> well, yeah, I made one arrested landing, but not on a carrier. I don't have the I don't have the stuff it takes to do that. I don't have the right stuff for that game. You absolutely do. There's a lot of Vietnam-era vets, a lot of good buddies of mine that maybe were uh, guys looking up at you and are grateful to you to this day. So, uh, well, we thanks. took a lot of pictures. <laughs> Wait a second, did you miss an episode of my show? Well, we have your six, aviation term there. We have your back. Search the Renegade Aviator Radio Show on that internet thing, and you'll find all kinds of places where you can hear me. Technology, an amazing thing. AV, the number eight R, iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeart, Stitcher, Google Play. You can take me with you. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. See ya. So feast your eyes on the big blue sky And hey, bye-bye from a long-back Cadillac Hey, girls gotta roll those dice And hey, bye-bye from a long-back Cadillac Questions, comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-366 
888-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Frank, thank you so much. And I really, really well, am I grateful hope, to I you. I this program went over okay. It's, it it's did. a little We're, different than the average aviation story because the airplanes are entirely different than the average airplanes you talk about. That's but, absolutely you know, true. Like I said in, earlier on, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I got to do some of the things I never dreamed it would be possible that they'd select me to get in the, in the, in the work area to do that. But somehow or other, they ran out of other monkeys and they got down to me. well you're uh, very very humble but uh you know again the country owes you a debt of gratitude and i enjoyed uh, it i enjoyed the work outstanding outstanding sir we will stay in touch um and uh i'll come uh, come on out to to the minden airport and i'll show you my slow little jets what do you fly uh, Lears? well i fly two polish jets at air shows Oh. Um, and I fly Russian airplanes because the uh, U.S. military Sukhoi. thought my they thought that my vision was good enough to be a U.S. Marine Corps sniper, but not good enough to be a fighter pilot. So oh, since I live, <laughs> so, so since I live in the greatest country in the world, I went out and bought my own fighter jets. How about that? <laughs> oh, right. That's a man after my heart. I, I, I need your wallet to do that, though. <laughs> yeah, believe me. But yeah, Frank, thank you so much. I will stay in touch, sir. Okay, uh, Dave. Take care, sir. and uh, I'll listen for you guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. I'll see you guys later. You know, Frank says he's the luckiest man in the world. And I believe him. He's lucky because he's grateful, humble, and he believes himself lucky. Another thing that struck me during this interview was a sense of humor. At times, self-deprecation, the sign of confidence, and knowing we have strengths and limitations. Go to YouTube after my show. Look for the video, Ox Cart Story, Frank Murray. A good buddy of mine, a fellow veteran, Chris Johnson, posted this. Watch it. Chris. Thanks. I appreciate it. The role that the A-12 served, piloted by men like Frank Murray, are no more. There will never be any more like it. Drones and satellites now do this mission. Will they do it better? Only history will tell us. Imagine, if you will, the thrill, fear, joy, discomfort that these aviators endured. A spy plane built without computers to today, a world that can't function without them. Look at the changes in 50 years. I'm excited to see what's in store, but right now I'm humbled and grateful to be able to have fun with you and to talk to people like Frank Murray and all my guests. Come back each week on this radio station. Listen to all of our podcasts anywhere you find podcasts. Call my office anytime, 888-366-5256. This is David Costa. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya. So peace to us.